All right, all right. Good morning. It's great to be with you here this morning. If I have not had the opportunity uh, to meet you, my name is Tim Shepard. I am the youth pastor up at the North Congregation here at New Life Church. Um, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Joe reached out to me and he said, hey, would you be willing to cover me on the 13th? We're going to take one of our sons and go on a cruise. Um, and I was like, really? And he stops in my office this last week and he goes, yeah, it was the best thing. We were in December watching the news and they were saying all these cruise lines were shutting down. And he's like, I saw it on the headline and I said, Erica, let's book a cruise right now. So they went and got a, an incredible deal on a cruise here in February. And so they slipped out this weekend. And, um, and so he invited me to come and, and share with you. So I'm honored to be here. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Exodus chapter 34. Uh, we're going to be in verse 10 through 16 today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, we are in a very long series. We're about five weeks in on a series called Who is God. We're going to spend some time looking at who is God the Father, uh, who is Christ the Son, and who is the Holy Spirit. Um, and if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, Dr. Joe and uh, Pastor Brett, they've kind of broken down a couple different things that we see about God. Now, this is important for a number of reasons. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he makes this comment. He says, we tend as humanity by a secret law of the soul to gravitate towards our image of God. And what he means by that is he's saying who we perceive God to be will inform the type of people that we are. So he said, if we perceive God to be some form of angry or judgmental God, we proceed to be an angry, judgmental people. If we perceive God to be a good, loving God, we would proceed to be a good and loving people. So taking time to look and behold at who is God is at some sense the very core of our faith. And over the last four weeks, Dr. Joe's kind of broken down how God is love. God loves us. He's talked about how God is good. And this is an important attribute of God because you can have an all-powerful God. You can even have a personal God. But if that God is not good, it doesn't do us any good. Uh, last week, he broke down how God is creator, that we actually were made intentionally by a God. And then two weeks ago, Pastor Brett began to kind of unpack in Acts 17 these four mysteries of God. And he made this statement that was so beautiful in this message. And he talked about how God is so much more faithful to us than we will ever be to God. And I want to lean into uh, some more of that statement today. So the statement that I want to go after this morning is a little bit uncomfortable, but it's so powerful. And I want to talk to you about how God is jealous. God is jealous. So that being said, I would like to ask you to stand with me. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and read these verses. I'll pray, and then we will be off to the races. So hear the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 10. It says, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites and the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. 
do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I thank you that you are a God who pursues. You tenaciously pursue. And you pursue each person who is in this room with us today and who's watching online personally. And we're very grateful for that, that you are the good shepherd who would leave the 99 to come after the one. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to just come and have your way today. We submit to you this morning. Would you unveil our eyes to see you, to see you. And Lord, we know that we can only see our lives more clearly if we see you more clearly. So would you come? Would you hallow your name among us this morning? Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Show us that you are a good, jealous God. If you can agree with that this morning, can you say amen? Amen. 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 You can be seated. God is jealous. I think it's important before we kind of hop in to talking about God's jealousy that we kind of define terms. What do we mean by God is jealous? There's a couple things that can come to mind when you hear that term, jealous. The, that can be the idea of, of kind of coveting, this idea that you, you know, maybe your neighbor pulls up in some nice car and you want something that doesn't belong to you. Right, And often we see kind of this is how jealousy is talked about in scripture when, when we long for things that don't belong to us, but that's not the type of jealousy that God is talking about here. You see, we are jealous for things. More often than not, we are jealous for things that do not belong to us, but God is always jealous for things that always belong to him. Are you with me? that always belong to him. So the difference could be I either desire something that's not mine or there's a form of jealousy where I have a wife and there's another man who's trying to hit on my wife and I'm jealous for my wife because she's my wife. There's a jealousy that God has for his people, for his creation because they belong to him. And that's the type of jealousy that I wanna lean into this morning because that type of jealousy from God is good news. It means that God is motivated to keep us from falling into traps of worshiping and submitting our lives to other things other than him. And we kind of see God's jealousy all throughout scripture, if you pay attention, don't we? All we have to do is look at the Old Testament and we can see example after example after example of God's jealousy. When we go back to Cain and Abel, two brothers who, who one's kind of a hunter, one's kind of a, a gardener, and they're pre presenting their sacrifices to God and God only wants the best. Why? Because he's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. If you go to Noah, Genesis chapter six, and we're looking across the earth and, and most of all of you, humanity has abandoned their love or their need for God in their own minds and God is a jealous God. I think one of the best books in the Bible that we see God's jealousy over and over and over again is the book of Judges. It's a troubling book if you read it. And as you read it, we kind of have all of these stories about Deborah and Barak and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and, and kind of the, the people of Israel are in this very interesting state where there's no king 
And the scripture says that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And as you read through the book of Judges, you kind of see a pattern as you begin the chapters. It'll begin with saying, and there was evil in the land and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And again, they fall into this kind of cycle, this kind of cycle of four S's where they'll, they'll sin, they'll abandon their love for God. And so God will give them over to their sin and they become slaves to people in the land. And so they're in their slavery for a while. And as a matter of time goes on, they begin to reach this point of sorrow. And after they hit that point of sorrow, they begin to cry out to God and God responds and brings salvation for them. And this is the cycle that we see over and over and over again with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And it's kind of irritating when you read it, right? Like, like, God just did all of these miraculous works for Israel, pulling them out of Egypt. They literally watched him split the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness. They watch God provide for them over and over and over again, and yet they still fashion a golden calf. Yet they still turn to their old ways. And as you read it, it's so frustrating. You're like, why can't Israel just get it in their head that this is a good God who will always take care of them? But then we take a step back and we look at our own lives and that's pretty indicative of our own lives, isn't it? That we, we, we see, we taste, we savor the goodness of God and yet there is this constant pull in our lives that wants us to, to, return, to return to the old ways, like a dog returning to its vomit. It's like we don't, we don't want it, and yet there is still this pull, and we kind of see this cycle in our own lives where God gets a hold of us. We submit our lives to God, but yet we taste and desire sin again, and so we go to it, and God gives us over to it, and, and we find that it does not satisfy us. We reach this point of sorrow. We cry out to God, and yet he's faithful. And this is the question that I want to pose before you this morning. As we look at the Old Testament and as we look at our own lives, what is it that keeps God coming back and continuing to be faithful? What is it that, that enables God to continue to answer Israel when they come to the end of themselves? What is it that allows God to continue to answer us when we come to the end of ourselves? And there's a lot of answers to this question to be clear. And most would go after initially because God is love and his love is unconditional and this is who he is. And I would agree with that. But what I want to go after this morning is I think God continues to come back because God is jealous. He's jealous. He's jealous for his people. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for me. So there are three things that I want to lean into and that I want to ask this morning. What does God's jealousy seek to accomplish in our lives. What does God's jealousy seek to accomplish? The first one's gonna be pretty obvious. I think that God's jealousy seeks to establish his supremacy and his lordship. But I want you to think of this in context. So we have God speaking right now to Moses in Exodus 34. But if you, re, uh, you rewind 31 chapters, what we have is Moses, he's tending Jethro, his father-in-law's flock, and he turns aside and he sees this bush that's burning, but it's burning and yet not consumed. And so he comes to look at it. And out from the bush, the voice of the Lord begins to speak to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes for where you're standing is holy ground. And so Moses takes off his shoes and he comes before this bush. And, and God begins to speak to him and says, I want you to know that I've heard the cries of my people Israel back in Egypt. I've heard and I understand. I know their pain and I have a plan for redemption. I'm going to send you. I want you to go back. 
I want you to be my advocate. I want you to be my spokesperson. And I want you to lead my people out of Egypt, out of oppression and into the promised land. And, and Moses gives this response to God. He says, if they ask me who sent you, what do I say to them? And God responds, he says, I want you to let them know that I am who I am has sent you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord. Now, this is really important here. So God answers with two responses. He gives first his character and his nature, I am who I am, and then his name, the Lord, L-O-R-D. The closest thing that we have in the English translation is Jehovah. And this is very, very fascinating because if you think of the context, why does God give Moses his nature? I am who I am. Translation is this. I want you to tell them that the God who was and is and is to come is coming to set them free. And this is why this is important because Israel has been in Egypt for a very, very long time and they have a perspective of what it means to be God. In the Egyptian culture, you have a God over everything. You have a God over the sun. You have a God over the moon. You have a God over the stars. You have a God over fertility. You have a God over the harvest. You have a God over the crops. You have a God over relationships. And so what they're perceiving is to be when he says, the God of Israel has sent me to you, they're gonna go, God over what? And his response is, a God over all things. Not just some things. Not just certain areas of your life. Like I, I need you to see that I am the God who was and is and is to come. I am the God over it all. God's not interested in sharing lordship with anything. Anything. No idol in our lives, not ourselves. He is the God who was and is and is to come. His, je his, his, his jealousy seeks to show us that nothing else in this world is going to satisfy us except him. Except him. I am who I am. This kind of gives us a, 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 a picture when we, we look at marriage, right? So what God's doing here when he opens up in verse 10 is he says, I'm making a covenant with you. And when you think of a husband and a wife who stand on the altar with one another and they make vows to one another and the officiant will say, okay, do you, do you vow to commit to this person in sickness and in health? for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, till death do you part. And he's gonna ask the husband and he's gonna ask the wife, do you vow to do this? And they're going to say these two simple words, I do. But there's two things that's taking place in a moment like that when we are watching a wedding take place. When a husband says to his bride, I do, he's saying two things. He's saying that I commit to be all of these things for you and only you for the duration of our marriage. And I'm committing to be none of these things for any other woman. And this is what God is inviting us into with his jealousy, that he's saying that you would be this and this with me alone and nothing other, nothing, nothing else. So his jealousy is, seeks to establish his supremacy and his lordship, but then God gets more personal than that. His jealousy seeks to establish human flourishing. And we see this with the law when it's given to us in Exodus. We are given this law, this, this what, what some would call as, as like the Christian rules. It's the way to kind of stifle the human's joy, right? That we don't get to do what we want to do. We kind of have to submit ourselves to this law. But as we read the scriptures, it's God going, no, 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 no. 
if, I, if scripture is true and God is in fact creator, and as we read Genesis 1 and 2, if God is creator and he's not just creator, he created human beings in his image, then what he is saying is that I created you with a purpose and a way to live that is best. And I wanna show you how to live the best way possible. And what sin does is it fractures our ability to live the best way possible. So he gives us this law to say, look, no, no, this is what it looks like to live life in a flourishing way. Have you ever taken something, an object, a relationship, and used it for what it was not meant to be used for? A couple years ago, my wife and I, we went to uh, California to visit my sister and brother-in-law with my parents. We were in Northern California and we went to Lake Shasta. We rented a boat. It was like this pontoon boat. And so we went out on the water. We had it for like four hours. And we were sitting there and we were so bored. It was really hot. There was nothing to do. And so me being like the only son in the family, I was like, well, here's what we can do. I took six life vests and I buckled them together and I threw it out in the water. And we had this long like, like safety rope on the deal. I said, hey, just tie this to the back. I'm gonna hop on and I'm just gonna hold on. And let's see what happens. And for the next hour or so, we, we, we began to test, like, what could it be like? To, it was like bull riding. Who could hang on the longest? Like, normally when you, like, go tubing, you have it at least tied to the tube. We didn't have that. So we're holding on. For an hour, I did this, being dragged around Lake Shasta. And it got to the point where it was like, it, I would hook the life vest into my legs, and I would just hold and be dragged. And it was so much fun until I woke up at 1 a.m. that night with my rotator cuffs on fire. My shoulders were killing me. I took like five ibuprofen. I don't even know if it's healthy. I was just trying to find a way to relieve the pain. And I sat there, I went and I ran a bath. I'm sitting in the bathtub at two in the morning. My wife, like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just in pain. And I'm sitting there going, this is what I get for using a rope and life vest for what they were not intended for. And I think far too often, this is indicative of the way we live our lives, that we look at good things that God has given us and we use them for their unintended purpose. And it causes pain, it causes sorrow, it causes division. And God's going, no, 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 no. I made you to flourish. And I wanna show you what it's like to flourish. You want to know what it's like to f- flourish? Like, like you can see the gift of sex. It's meant to flourish in marriage. This is what it's like for this to flourish. It's like, you, you want to know what worship looks like? You, you will flourish when you worship me and no other God. When you love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. When you love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it looks like to live life at its best, to be content with what you have and not to covet whatever your neighbor has. That's what it looks like to live life at its best, to not take the life of anybody else. Why? Because that's God's gift to them. This is what life looks like to flourish. God's jealousy, brothers and sisters, seeks to establish human flourishing, himself as Lord, our ability to flourish as humanity, but it doesn't stop there. God's jealousy seeks to establish intimacy with us. And I think this really is the primary goal of God's jealousy, intimacy with us. God doesn't just want us to thrive. He wants to know us. 
And more importantly, he wants us to know him. Can you imagine if marriage was simply just a covenant or a contract? I'll hit my seven-year anniversary this, this June. My wife and I were expecting our first child this May. And can you imagine, like had I stood on that altar seven years ago and just said, all right, I commit to be with you because marriage sounds like a good idea. I think we get a tax benefit maybe if we do it. Uh, we can do it for that. Um, it might be more affordable if we can both work together to live in Colorado Springs because it's so expensive, right? Like, but that's what marriage is for, is, is it, this will just kind of make my life better. And I had no desire to have a relationship with the woman that I was committing myself to. But you know what's crazy is we treat God like this, is that he simply just wanted covenant with us because this is what was best for him and it might be what's best for us, but we'll just leave it at that. And God's going, no, I don't wanna just show you the best way to live. I wanna show you myself. I wanna have relationship with you. I wanna show you the one primary thing that you were made for. You weren't made for food. You weren't made for marriage. You weren't made for friendships. You weren't made for money. You weren't made for sex. You weren't made for, for success. You weren't made for your gifts, for your talents. You weren't made for any. We were made for a relationship with him. We were made for a relationship with him. And what is our proof for that? Where is the greatest demonstration of God's jealousy in the history of humankind? It's on the cross with Jesus Christ. We have a jealous God who so loved the world, who so saw every single person in this room sitting here today for the whole of our lives, and he said, I want them. And I don't just want them to flourish, I want them to know me. Can you stand with me? Around, around your chairs, you guys got some baskets. There's some communion elements in there. If you wanna go ahead and grab them, that would be great. I wanna invite the worship team to go ahead and come up. I think far, far too often we can go, especially if you're, if you're new to church and you show up here and you go, why is it that these Christian people make such a big deal of this man named Jesus. And it's because he is, he is the great pursuit of heaven to earth to show all of humanity that God cares for us, that God is jealous for us. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Most people, they will take the story of salvation and they will stop it at justification. They'll say, here's what the gospel is, that God came and he died for you so that you could be made right with God. And that is true, but that's not where salvation stops. He made you right with God so that you could be reconciled to God so that you could be adopted by God.
so that the spirit in Christ that cries out, Abba, Father, could be the same spirit made alive in you. Salvation, brothers and sisters, is not just simply that we're made right, but that we're given relationship. (laughs) And that he commits to sanctifying us for the whole of our life. Why? Because he's jealous for us. He doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. And so because he loves us, he sends his son to die for us. And so on the night that our beloved savior was betrayed, he looked at his followers and he took the bread and he broke it. And looking them in the eyes, knowing what he was about to do, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my demonstration, my work of jealousy for you. I want you to know that I will not cease coming after you. I will not relent on on allowing you and watching you to give yourself to things that are going to bring about your destruction. I want to show you that you were made for me and me alone. Every time you do this, every time you partake of it, do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, before we take this, could you just close your eyes? I just want to offer up a moment for those in here who who follow Jesus of thanksgiving and a a moment for those who, who don't know the Lord to respond to this good news. This good news that the God of the universe was so jealous for you that he sent his son off his heavenly throne to come down, to enter into your pain and brokenness, to establish his lordship and supremacy, to show you the way to live, but to ultimately have relationship with you, intimacy with you, care for you, love for you, to give you new life. With that in mind, let's take the bread together.